Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Back in the day, you go into a high school parking lot, there was guns hanging in gun racks in the back window, pickups were unlocked. It's very rural. People would say, what are you studying in college and out in California? And I'd say agriculture, and they're like, there's agriculture there? <laughs> you can judge the size of the pigs, what's in there, by how high the rubs are up and down on the trees, but you also see cut marks in the trees sometimes where those boars are rubbing their teeth. You know, the last few years before that, we've all been hearing about the droughts and the fires and, you know, everything happening here. So we're seeing a lot a lot less litters. You don't have to have the best everything. Go cheap, go try it, see if you like it. If you enjoy it, then make the investment. Okay, this is Casey. And Regina Stafford. With CICC Outdoor Adventures. And you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. You and I and everybody listening to this owns 640 million acres. I think he killed more deer drinking his coffee, smoking a cigarette in the pickup truck than I did spending all that time freezing my butt off. Something that I would hope is that people realize that those are wild animals and they have savage natures. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain of success. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. I've said it before and you know what? I'll say it again louder for the people in the back. Your present circumstance should not limit your passions. This is Jay Scott of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan. Hi, this is Jules McLean. Hey everybody, Jason Carter here with Epic Outdoors. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. All right, y'all, here we are with another episode of The Wild Initiative coming at you from the ISE show in Sacramento, not Salt Lake City, because I keep saying Salt Lake City. <laughs> Do you? Um, everyone, uh, everyone knows I love to record many, many episodes at Hunt Expo, and so it's my, anytime I'm in this crowd, it's my initial reaction to say Salt Lake City. But we are not there. We are far, far away in beautiful California, where the mm-hmm. weather is actually... Yes. Fantastic today. It's been kind of nasty past it two days. It has been. It is. Yeah. yeah, no, it's nice outside today for the show. Yeah. It is Not lovely, even as so. chilly, so, yeah. But I am sitting here with Casey and Regina Stafford of CICC <laughs> Outdoor Adventures. Uh, we are going to have a lovely time sitting here chatting about some uh, California hunting. But I appreciate you guys taking the time sitting down with me. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. We love what you're doing and what you represent. So it's cool to sit down and chat with you. What's the, You're supposed to pull up a line, you know, like, long-time listener, first-time guest, right? <laughs> yeah, there, it is. You got, <laughs> I, was, I was very excited when you, when you said that. It's, I, I always tell people, it's, sometimes I, like, still don't believe anybody listens to it. Like, I see the numbers and I see people download it, but then anytime somebody comes up and is like, oh, yeah, you know, I love that episode yeah. you did with so-and-so, I'm like... Really? Like, you, you actually listen to we, that we, one? We see that stuff, though, too. Like, her doing the radio show, I do the radio show, and you think, does anybody even really listen to you? And then people will come up and say, like, 
shake your hand and know your name. And I'm like, whoa, dude. Oh, yeah. So it's we just... do a, here in California, it's a just Sacramento-based, but it has huge listenership. Um, it's just a morning radio show on Saturday mornings um, on the sports station, AM sports station here in Sacramento. <laughs> and um, it's a two-hour um basically like all things hunting and fishing that's happening and so we've been doing that radio show for our entire years of business which is like 15 16 years now and my segment is actually every saturday which is tough um you know especially if you are hunting or fishing (laughs) and you have to call into the radio show and give your little tip on hunting or whatever for the day i'm here on the side of the mountain yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. for sure or in the duck blind they say all the time live in the blind oh there you go (laughs) yeah yeah, I've I've so. done a few I've I've launched a couple of projects this year when I was out in Montana. I uh I was hunting in an area where if I could get on one side of the one side of the mountain there you had service. I had I mean better service than I had in town. <laughs> and I launched uh two or three projects and uh marketing projects while I was on the side of the mountain hey. from my phone. That's a pretty but good office. I was gonna say I'm not gonna complain. You got elk no. in the glass right here waiting for him to waiting for him to get up in yep. the afternoon and Hey, Earn that's an invoice awesome. right yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Beauty of technology, huh? Yeah. So one thing I always like to start out with is just a little background on you guys. Uh, introduce yourselves and maybe talk about how did you get introduced to the outdoors and hunting? Okay, well, my name's Casey, and, you know, we spent, as a kid, I hunted with my parents, my dad, my uncles, everybody. The whole family's a big hunting family. Um, you know, and I, as I got older... It seems like they got busier with work and everything else and siblings and the, the hunting kind of and fishing went on the back burner for the family for the most part. I mean, I have some uncles that were diehard hunters, um, one that moved to Idaho, and I'd go back there and visit with him, but he was diehard. Like, that was his thing was hunting. He worked all year, and when it came hunting season, he'd just up and quit his job. <laughs> They'd tell him, hey, I'm out. It's deer season, elk season. I'm gone. So the, he, he kind of you know burn this in me he told me once as a kid he said you know you're only gonna be able to do this the way you want to do it for so long so just do it and i still i mean i we have the family and we have the business that we have to keep going but we're putting a ton of time in the field because we all love to do it you know the kids love to do it regina loves to do it and that's where we spend our time is hunting or fishing for something i mean if we aren't hunting or fishing we're outside (laughs) looking for something else to do outside i mean we just don't spend time inside our kids don't spend time inside and that's kind of gotten us where where we are today just the love of the outdoors no <laughs> we've we've got some lovely guests here at the isc show they're gonna listen in on the podcast while they while they <laughs> eat their eat their meals the seating comes at a premium at, yeah, uh, at this yeah, spot during here. lunchtime and it's crowded today so <laughs> But, yeah, so Casey grew up right here in the Sacramento Valley. I grew up more on the coastal side, and we met in college. And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, Casey, you know, introduced me to hunting. But I actually have been hunting and fishing myself for since I can remember going to my first bear tree when I was three years old. I actually have, like, memory of it or bits of memory, I guess. I mean, for a three-year-old. But, um he wants the food. <laughs> we also have an additional uh, guest here, if you want to introduce him, since he is does not have a mic on. No, drag. Casey's little mini dash hound, his wiener dog, is here with us today. He's a killer. <laughs> he's not a wiener. He's a killer, yeah. <laughs> he is a wiener. And he's, he's number one. Yeah. He smells the food, so he's wanting, wanting lunch. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, no, I um, think my love for the outdoors is what I was looking for in a guy, obviously. So when we met, I kind of, I think that's just how we meshed and ended up. Sometimes I think I'm more of a diehard than he is. Yeah. <laughs> so so here's the question. How, how did you guys meet in college? Because, you know, you think California, you don't initially think like, oh, I'm going to meet someone that's super into hunting. And, right. In this end of California, in this Northern California region, hunting is huge. I mean, you get, there's a lot of misconceptions about California. We, we call California from Sacramento North, the, the ones that are up here. That, that <laughs> bottom half is where the issues are. But it, it's huge up here. I mean, we grew up doing it. I mean, I can remember as a kid, 
that's all anybody ever did. Back in the day, you go into a high school parking lot, there was guns hanging in gun racks in the back window, pickups were unlocked. It's very rural. And as and time kids is, would hunt, you know, hit the duck blind before class in the morning. You know, there was a lot of that. So yeah, that's why they were bringing their guns to school. I guess we should explain that. <laughs> well, you know, back in the day, it wasn't like it is now. You know, everybody yeah. sees a gun. A lot of people freak out. The gun has become the super bad tool. It's a tool, and it's something, you know, it's our, it's our heritage up here. Um, from here north, I mean, every – for the – I would say for the most part, everybody is a hunter or fisherman or at least has one in their family. Familiar Mm -hmm. with Um, it. It's one of those things. A lot of the time when I'll go on a road trip or I'll go to another expo or event or something that's out of state, especially when you're you're far off and you're hitting like a lot of the southern states, um, people are like, oh, you're from California. And you've heard it. Like, I guarantee Mm -hmm. you, you know, if you're from California, you've gone out of state, you've heard it. And... And I, I kind of explained to him, I'm like, honestly, Red Bluff, where I live now, Red Bluff is really not all that different from the town we're in right now. And some yeah. small yep. southern town, the accents might be a little bit different, but we talk about the same things. The, yes. the yeah. people are really pretty similar. It's not all that different. It, yeah. It's when you cruise down uh, south of the grapevine that you start getting into a little bit of trouble. Yeah. But, or yeah. even in the Bay Area now, um, I think... I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but we are becoming more and more removed from, I say, mentorship. So, like, a grandpa or grandma in the family that hunts Mm -hmm. or fish has been an angler. They don't are, you know, I think we're like three generations removed now um, here in California where you don't have that connection, I guess, anymore. Mm -hmm. But in Northern California, it's a little different. If you take the whole state, we're a big state. So if you take the whole state and start doing statistics and numbers, then it gets a little skewed. But we're so in college, I think there was a lot of people that were doing all of that. We're both agriculture majors here in Northern California. I mean, it's ag, an ag-based community, you know, and I even in college, I traveled a lot and people would say, what are you studying in college and out in California? And I'd say agriculture. And they're like, there's agriculture there (laughs) yeah big part and that's why the hunting goes hand in hand with the ag fields that are around here so i was gonna say um, i think california is i mean it's almost half of the nation's food yeah something comes from california it rivals you know every now and then but it most of the time it is the number one ag producing state in the country (laughs) so yeah it's uh (laughs) there's a podcast i was listening to with uh Guy Kevin Orthman, we're we're driving out from Nashville to Minnesota for a, a hunting trip. He's the president of POMA, the oh, organization yeah, the I'm part of. Outdoor uh, professional media? outdoor media association. Okay, and I he uh, he was like, okay, somebody told me we have to listen to this podcast on the way, and it's called It Could Happen Here, and they were talking about like basically what happens if the Civil War happens, and it and they started talking about like how Northern California and Southern California there would be a big split, and effectively like. Northern California could cut off the food to the nation, and it was this whole thing. And uh, by the by the end bo- end of the road trip, both of us were wearing tinfoil hats, and it was getting a little <laughs> freaky. But uh, yes. it was it was you're sitting there, yeah. and you're like, this all makes way too much sense. So that's why you moved to Red Bluff. Uh, no. Exactly, mm. <laughs> many many reasons. But <laughs> anyway, anyway so back to think, the topics of hunting. Yes. Yeah, I don't think us finding each other was anything abnormal i think it's just that's how it is here and you know both being yeah. studying the same and that thing. was totally not a leading question no. at all yeah, <laughs> yeah i love i just love i love bringing it up i'm like there is a huge it is a very small geographically portion of the state oh for sure yes it is it is that really brings out what there's so much amazing hunting opportunity here in california i mean you know, two of the things that uh, you're specifically talking about at this expo, I know a lot of people come in from out of state solely for that. They come in for hog hunting. They come in for duck hunting. It's some of the yes. best opportunity in the U.S. for both of those. Yeah, our area right here, you know, Sacramento North is it's world-renowned for the waterfowl hunting. Um, there's people come from everywhere to come through here. The Pacific Flyway, I mean, we are right dead center in the heart of it here. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. I mean, the big-time duck hunter guys that know a lot about duck hunting, they realize what we have here. But 
It's pretty wild to think in this state and the way this state is perceived by most people in other states that we have that type of hunting here. I mean, it's it's pretty cool, really. I mean, we're urban, yet an hour away, you can get away from the city and be right back into the wild. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and you have um, guys who are looking, or gals who are looking for specific, I mean, our elk hunting here, too, is like, I mean, people have to come here to get specific species of elk to, you know, fulfill these lists that they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, we have tule elk right here in our backyard, as well as just a little bit up the up north, we have the beautiful roosevelt elk and it's you know i mean that's california so there there's not many other places to i tell people all the time where we sit you know right here in sacramento within two or three hours of us in every direction you can be at the coast hunting blacktail deer you can be in the valley hunting ducks you can be on the rivers catching salmon stripers sturgeon i mean go down to the bay another hour or two and you're into the shark and the halibut it's just it's a pretty wide array of opportunity for the outdoorsman here Yes, it's and it's there. I, I feel like it is. It's you're saying like some of the big time duck hunters know it. And I, I almost feel like the guys from out of state that know about it, they want to keep it a secret. Like <laughs> it's because I know some guys that they every year they come and hunt a zone for uh, early early blacktail. Yeah, um, because they can come in, they can get an extra deer hunt in before any other season is even close to starting. Yeah. yeah. Um, same thing about duck hunting. And I feel like some some will talk about it, but it's almost like, oh, yeah, California, there's there's no hunting over there as they're buying their tags, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> talking right. out of one side of their mouth. And we have – and it, it's, not a, it's not a roadblock with – private land either i mean it's not like that type of issue because there's plenty of public Mm -hmm. land here that like he's saying within all area all around us compass around us you can hit public land so and we have over-the-counter tags where you can't get in other states i mean all you got to do is show up here and have a hunting license walk in you could buy two a zone tags Mm -hmm. two b zone tags and go hunt i mean and you can literally start like you said earlier i think a-zone archery is usually like the second week of July, yeah. which is hotter than you know what here. But <laughs> And that, that is, and that is not the it. coolest area in general <laughs> no, either. No, it's miserable over there. But if you want to go hunt, I mean, it, there's great opportunities to start in July. And you can hunt here. I think our D-zone season ended like November 2nd or 3rd this year. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a big window of opportunity. Well, and you look at the you, – you, if you're an archery hunter, you look at that archery only tag. How many units and how stinking long can you hunt that tag? You can just yeah. you can drive up and down the state and hunt that tag for. Yeah, you can start in July and you can end in November. Yeah. with that tag basically. On one tag. Yep. Yeah, um, one tag. And they're and they're over the counter. They're yes. I mean effectively unlimited. I think I think there's yeah, technically there's... a number, but. And the yeah. different zones, yeah, the, uh, the archery only, but I just. Yeah, it's. I think it's a total misconception that the opportunity doesn't exist here. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you're going to hit. We we see it as California residents. Obviously, we know how our pocketbooks get hit with non-resident fees when we go out of state hunting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, likewise, if people are traveling in here, the nice thing with the waterfowl hunting though is they don't have to buy a um, full season uh, hunting license. They can just do you know, a two-day license here, mm-hmm. which is a lot more affordable for, you know, if you're traveling in. So, and I, yeah. I'm baffled by that still, that you can buy a three-day license and come here and hunt ducks because if you want to hunt pigs, they force you to buy a year-long <laughs> license, which makes no sense to me because I think there's as many, if not more, hunters coming in to hunt waterfowl than there is mm-hmm. pigs every year from this state's money grab theory. I, I can't believe they let that fly, but, hey. Well, you're giving it away right now. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one thing is waterfowl hunting is something I really have been wanting to do. I kind of wanted to uh, start in on it last year, and it it just didn't seem to work out. But this year I'm determined I want to go on my first waterfowl hunt because – I mean, and Regina, you've been listening to the podcast. You kind of know is my whole thing was I fell in – I kind of got introduced to hunting, and then I got introduced to elk hunting. And I, I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. The the romantic big mountain notion of chasing elk through the mountains with my bow by myself, camping backcountry for you. And, and I'm still in love with it. I still think it's the most amazing thing on earth. But I didn't, 
I focused so much on that. I missed out on so many amazing opportunities that you can always be doing for the rest of the year that mm -hmm. don't require this huge investment of effort and time like duck hunting. And that's something I've really been wanting to do this year. And, um, and so, and you know, it's the fun thing. You go out, it's social, you go with your buddies, you have a few beers afterwards, you know, yeah. you, it's, it's that aspect. And so for maybe someone that's, uh, looking to get into duck hunting initially, what, um, you know, how would they go about that? You know, in, in California, again, we have so much opportunity with the refuge systems and everything that we have around here. I mean, you can pretty much walk onto a refuge. You're not going to get – each refuge has a quota of what they let in there during the day. But I know a lot of guys that bounce from refuge to refuge. They'll go here and put in a number, or go over here put and try to get a number to get on a draw to get in early. But if they don't, they just kind of wander around, and they'll go in the afternoon. They'll go in at 10 o'clock when everybody else is coming out. Then they go in and spend the rest of the day in their hunting. So the, the opportunity is there, and the cost is minimal to, to get into the refuge, to get in there and basically treat that land like it's your own. You know, go in there and explore and hunt. We personally don't do that. I mean, we're so busy with the guide service running the business. All the waterfowl hunting we're doing is basically private land, rice fields, and stuff like that. But there's a ton of opportunity for guys to get out and, and do it pretty much free. I mean... Hey, yeah. relatively so say yeah. you know i'm on a i'm on a budget i want to i want to get into i'm like okay waterfowl hunting's great it's fairly inexpensive to do the opportunity you know it's active it's it's uh, a lot of stuff t tends to happen when you're waterfowl hunting you're not it's not kind of the i'm going to be lucky if i see one animal yeah. you know the entire week i'm here kind of a thing um but say i'm on a budget and i want to get started what are my basic necessities for waterfowl hunting in, anywhere you go, you're going to need, I mean, you're going in the water, so you're going to need a pair of waders. Um, and you can buy any, I mean, they're out there all over. You can get as cheap or as expensive as you want on that. I mean, you could go buy a cheap pair of waders. You don't have to have, I mean, I tell people all the time, there's a ton of guys that hunt with us that don't wear camouflage. If you have a brown jacket or a green jacket, good enough. You know, you just need to blend yourself in. I wear a in. green jacket. Yeah, she wears the green jacket with the foil inside. But, <laughs> it's uh, warm. You know, a, a cheap shotgun. It doesn't have to be anything special. A cheap box of shells and go out there and just try to do it. You know, on this public land in these refuges, you don't need 50, 60, 70 decoys. You can do it with four or five decoys. Um, I tell hunters too is like if you do have buddies that's the way to do it you know is kind of make a list of the basics that you need and then split it up you know like if it's you're going to invest in a motorized decoy this year which might be a little bit more expensive so have him your buddy or girlfriend or whatever pitch in with um you know a half dozen decoys floater decoys and then you guys can start building off of you know your your I mean, not that you d can't be a solo hunter. Um, there's plenty of them out there. But I do think that the social aspect that you keep hitting on is one of my favorite parts mm -hmm. of duck hunting. Um, it's been a blessing for me to bring my children out there and have that quality time with them in the duck blind. Um, so, you know, I see that. But, yeah, I would say just just basics. You know, it, it is an, an investment initially if you don't have all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can always borrow a shotgun. And you'll hear, like, you know, a lot of people have an old pump shotgun in the back of their safe that they haven't used. So don't feel like you can't ask people for well, those types of things. And as far as, honestly, firearms purchases go, you can't get too much more affordable than than a shotgun most exactly. you know you go to most uh local gun shops like i go up to discreet defense all the time and they have just a row of shotguns uh, over unders they've got double barrels breech loaders they've got oh, yeah. pump actions and you you know used or on consignment you know you can find them pretty easily i so. think i picked up a mossberg uh and it was in a i mean it, it was in a camo pattern even um I mean, not even three hundred bucks. Yeah. Like out yeah. out the door, I think I paid probably right around three hundred bucks, and yeah. it's you know if you if you're looking to buy one, it's not a bad way to go. You know, you don't and have to invest in a lot of optics. The and, most expensive 
item that you will need, I think, um, to get started. Yeah, obviously. starting out there, you get your gun. You can buy a pair of waders. You get cheap pair of waders, look at them on sale or whatever. You mm -hmm. get one for 75 to 100 bucks. Uh, the coat you can use, whatever you got. You know, it may not be the most comfortable, but starting out, I tell people that you don't have to have the $500 Sitka jacket or the, you know, $500 waiters the you don't have to have the best everything go cheap go try it see if you mm -hmm. like it if you enjoy it then make the investment yeah wait so you mean to tell me i can possibly be successful if i just have an old real tree jacket that i picked up from walmart i don't need the the perfectly correct <laughs> camo pattern I, I, I think you can get away with it <laughs> How shocking. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest thing with waterfowl hunting is your face. You know, make sure that you either have a buff that's covering your, you know, it's almost like turkey hunting where you don't want to be con total. You don't have to be total concealment, but the face is the biggest thing I think that the ducks see. And movement. Hold still. Learn to hold still. They see it. So yeah, um, A lot of people have a bad habit of when they're duck hunting and they want to look up at the birds all the time because they want to see them. But as soon as you tip your face up in the sun, it's like a pie plate shining, you interesting. know? Interesting. Yeah. So we'll wear like a buff that comes up to, you know, the underneath your nose, and pull your hat down low and just kind of look out of the corner of your eye and try to watch the birds that way instead of looking up in awe i mean you can watch birds coming at you sometimes i'll have clients in the blind and i'll see the birds coming and all of a sudden they'll do something weird and i'll look down the blind and there's one guy like this you know uh, yeah. everybody wants to see it but it Put it just doesn't lend. paint on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing i want to talk to you about just because this is something that that i love and i think is people are like you can't you can't have pigs in california unless Unless you got your, unless they're on your land, or you got access to, to private land, and I feel like uh, pig hunting is another thing that is so accessible for someone that wants to get into hunting, uh, for introducing someone mm -hmm. to hunting because it's uh, inexpensive. I mean, you can. Let's just say there's a lot of action when when you come across a sounder. There's a lot of them. Oh yeah, cool. yeah, there's a lot sure. of them there, and so you're in. And it's typically, you know, it's not, again, it's not an expensive tag. It's, you it's can a hunt all year fun, on a $25 tag. Yeah. I mean. And you're yeah. not, people don't develop quite so many emotional attachments to, yes. to wild, <laughs> wild hogs. I feel like True. as some, as some other animals, they feel a lot worse sometimes if it's someone new that's never hunted before. Uh, oh yeah. And we see that a lot with women and kids introducing them to hunting a lot of the times we'll even suggest let's make a, either a turkey or a pig your first hunt because they're not the most beautiful. And like a tom turkey is kind of a little <laughs> ugly when you look at them close up, you know, I mean, they got, yeah. So, and same with the pigs is that's, you're right. I mean, that is exactly right with a beautiful duck mm. and their beautiful feathers or it can be a, an emotional roller coaster for a new hunter to know that they killed or harvested something as majestic as a deer, an elk or you know, something a little mm -hmm. that has a stereotype of a little bit more majestic. We, I mean, I'm not saying discounting those animals at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I all treat all animals the same, but for the most part, I think sometimes it is a little bit easier with an ugly animal <laughs> and yeah. pigs are not, <laughs> are not pretty. <laughs> and here in California, I mean, there is a lot of public land where you have, a decent chance i think of finding pigs it's just the guys that are super successful doing it are putting their time in it's like anything yeah. else if you put your time in take a piece of ground and learn that piece of ground and the ins and outs of it you're going to be successful i mean i know guys that kill multiple pigs a year on public land but they've done the time i mean you could go out on one hunt and you could walk right out of your pickup out of the trailhead and go 100 yards and there they could be chances of that happening are probably slim to none yeah but the guys that made the investment have learned the ground and are putting the time in they're very successful every year i know guys that kill multiple pigs on public land so if i'm if i'm wanting to invest some time you know because because there's a lot of public land here and what initially so maybe i'm doing some e-scouting or something trying to just even figure out where to start what what am I looking for if I'm if I'm trying to hunt down some pigs um, or even just some spots where that I might uh, want to eventually start digging deeper into? 
the the, um, the way it's gone up here in the at least in this northern part of the state, these pigs have gotten smart where they want to go down to the valley. They're going into almond orchards, walnut orchards, rice fields, wheat fields, and that's where they're focusing their feeding on. Um, so I tell guys all the time when they ask me, I say, get on Google Earth, do some e-scouting, and find any public ground as close as you can get to the valley floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great place to start. If you can find a place within a mile or two of the valley, uh, orchards or a cropland, and this piece of public ground has brush patches, has water on it, more than likely, that's where they're coming. I mean, the guys that are hunting them that are very successful, they have found these spots. They're getting up high above the valley and watching down as, you know, they're up high in the dark still set up and ready. And you can watch the pigs come right out of the valley, out of the wheat fields, out of the orchards, and work their way up a lot of times into that public ground to bed. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily spend a lot of time feeding there, but they will bed in that and they will work their way back down and back up every day to, to get some food. So what kind of, I mean, I guess what is bedding behavior for hogs? Like what what time of day do they generally bed? When are they typically moving? It, it typically, from what I've seen, for the first hour to hour and a half in the morning, they're out and about cruising. You know, they'll feed. If they're out in an open valley, as the sun comes up, I've seen it a million times, they're out there just feeding in an open valley, and that sun starts to peak up and the sun rays start to hit them. They will run straight for the trees, but as soon as they get back in the shade and it's dark, they'll settle back down and keep feeding, keep rooting around in there. Uh, but it seems to me like you got an hour, hour and a half in the morning on a typical day. In the evening, it seems like a lot of times you have less time. They'll wait, and like it's the last 30, 40 minutes where they're actually out moving around. Not to say that during the day, you know, a lot of places they bed, they'll bed in real thick brush that's surrounded by oaks or something. And they'll get up in the middle of the day. They're like people. They get tired of laying there. They'll get up, stretch around, wander around, feed a little bit, and then bed back down. Or is hit it? reservoirs. We've seen them, okay. on, you know, if you're watching trail camera patterns or whatever, where they'll get up midday, 2 o'clock-ish, and just go and play in the mud, you know, around the edge of a reservoir, and then head back and, and into the cool once they have the mud that's cooling mm-hmm. them down. I was going to say, isn't it true that pigs don't, I guess they don't sweat, they don't regulate their body temperature in the same way, and that's why they, you just won't typically catch them, in, like, sunning at all, yeah, really, yeah. unless they, they got water. They, they don't sweat at all. So to cool off, they have to lay down in the water or the mud. Um, and so that's what I tell guys a lot of times, going into a new area, and I'm the same way. If we get a lease on a ranch or permission to hunt a different piece of property, I spend a lot of time in the summer looking. Because a pig is going to go back and forth to water at least twice, sometimes three times a day when it's hot. The mm-hmm. hotter it is, the more water they got to have. And so I'll spend a lot of time looking around in the middle of the day. It could be 110 degrees, and I'll watch a water hole, and you'll watch those pigs come right down to it. Now, that may not be when you want to shoot them because it's 110 degrees, and <laughs> you're going to have to get that meat out of there and try to cool it off. Yeah. But you can see them actively using the water as it gets warmer. This time of year, there's water everywhere, there's feed everywhere, and it's just tough to pattern them. But in the summertime, as the water holes dry up, if you, you know, I'll get up on, uh, on top and look, like, you look at Google Earth. Say you have seven or eight different water holes on a certain piece of property. Well, go look at them in June, and you can see which ones, I mean, some are drying up, some have a little water, and some are uh, definitely spring-fed or whatever where there's going to be water there year-round. That is where I focus, mm-hmm. and during the heat. So, I mean, really, they're like any animal. I mean, you look at any animal. You read any, like, how to hunt book, and the first thing they're going to tell you when you're locating animals is you look for that trifecta. Like you said, you look for bedding, you look for food source, and you look for water. And so, I mean, with the pigs, and they're they're bedding in in brushy areas, you said, right? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Typically surrounded by oaks. Yep. Um, Feeding, you're looking for that valley floor where they're going to have orchards, they're going to have fields, right? They tend to go for the easy well, food like that, or it's food and the attractor in the orchards, or even through like the Napa area and like our coastal ranges now are the vineyards where there's man-made water source of irrigation. Okay. So that's what I I don't necessarily. Th- I mean, yeah, they're destroying and eating 
you know, like the rat grass and the little shoots that are coming up in those mm -hmm. irrigated areas, but it's the irrigation lines that they like too and oh, that interesting. they're destroying. Yeah. So I would have I would have assumed right off like, oh yeah, they're in there because they're they're the food, food source yeah, is plentiful fruit, and now they're or rooting it up. It is. And they'll go they'll go right to a drip system in an orchard where it's on top of the ground mm -hmm. and they'll buzz they're smart. I mean they can hear the water running in the drip system and then a lot of times they'll just bust the line. They'll bust the PVC knuckle oh, off. And so you got water going everywhere and then you come back the next day and there's a huge wallow in the middle of this orchard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I think, what has kind of forced them to come down, especially, you know, I mean, like the last last year was a better rain year here in California. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, the last few years before that, we've all been hearing about the droughts and the fires and, you know, everything happening here. And that's what's really kind of changed the dynamic, not only the dynamic of their, pat you know, their everyday patterns of what they're doing activity wise. But even their breeding, we've seen a lot of difference with how, how they're having litters or not having litters at all because it's become like a, um, a survival type thing where they know that there isn't uh, enough resources for ha their habitat to have successful litters. So mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot more, a lot less litters. And, uh, you know, yeah, or if, if they are, they're really brushed up. You know, you don't see, we used to see tons of sows with lots of litters running around, and now we don't see that as often because hmm. they're either really brushed up when they are during their breeding or, you know, having their having their herds I, or babies. I think, too, that during, like, this drought, you know, we had three pretty bad years of drought. Everything confines itself. Everything's got to go to where the water is. So in return, you got all the predators go to the same place. And so they're getting, they're picking off the piglets. Where you see a litter of eight or nine are born, you see that same sow six months later, four months later, and she's now running with two piglets. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're getting picked off. But it we seems have a to lot me... of predators here in California. We all talk about that all the time and the way we're able to manage it. So... Um. I, uh, <laughs> and we're just uh, we're just getting more predators now. Yeah. Yeah. Super excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, oh it's, it's you know they've got a lot working against them, just like anything else does. But they are yeah. they're fruitful. I mean, when everything is right, the conditions are right, they'll have two litters in a year, and they may be six to nine to ten piglets. And when they all survive, I mean, you get a boom in the population. I think the numbers on the pigs are down right now. But these last two wet winters and, and wet springs, I think we're going to see them start to come back up. I mean, there's yeah. getting to be, from what I see out there, it seems like there's more sows with better-sized mm -hmm. litters running around right now. So, so say, you know, I find this area, I kind of find a promising spot. I dig in a little bit deeper. I'm like, okay, I've kind of got, got the food, feed. I've got the bedding. I've got, I've got uh, the water. What what sign sign should I be looking for then as I'm, you know, maybe scouting this area or even if I'm just maybe out for deer or something and I'm keeping an eye open to uh, to look for pig? It, a maybe. lot of times on a new piece of property that I go to, like I said, you know, I'll focus on the water holes. But the one thing a pig always does is they'll roll in the mud and as they head back to where, I shouldn't say maybe back, but as they head on to where they're going, they're constantly rubbing against the trees. And leaving you a sign of which direction they're going. So a lot of times you can walk. You'll see the trail where they've gone. Follow that trail and see where they've been rubbing on the trees. And a lot of times that will lead you in the direction of maybe their bedding area or their food source, whichever. Because they're going to go from bed, usually from bed to water to feed to water back to bed during the day. Mm -hmm. And so what I've found by following that, a lot of times I can figure out where they're going to feed, where they're going to bed. I do not like ever to disturb them in a bedding area if I can keep from doing that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times on these places we hunt, we'll find the bedding area, and they will continue to use that same bedding area until something changes. Maybe a water hole is going to dry up, and so they need to go somewhere different, you know, two miles, three miles away on the ranch, pick a new bedding area so they're closer to water. But a lot of times if you can catch pigs leaving their bedding area and going to water, going to food, I try mm -hmm. to intercept them somewhere in between, set up and bushwhack them there, and a lot of times it won't disrupt them too much. Yes, when the gunshot goes off or you stick one with the arrow, they're going to explode. They're going to go mm -hmm. different directions. But a lot of times that won't really break their habit. So they'll go back and use the same bedding area. So once you've found them, you may be able to pick off a couple there over a short time frame. 
That's one thing I've, I've had a lot of people tell me about animals in general is you can bump them just about anywhere and they may run off, but they'll come back the next day unless you bump them out of their bedding area. And then, you know, unless another group picks it up, they probably won't, won't ever come back there. Yeah, and pigs are really bad about that. Like, I've had places where you I've accidentally stumbled around looking and kicked them out of their bed, and I thought, okay, you know, maybe they, we didn't bother them much. And you go back and keep looking there, and you won't see that herd of pigs there again for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it could be a fluke and they're going to come right back or another group is going to move in there and pick up that bedding area. But like you said, if you bump them a lot of times, you're not going to see them there again for months, if ever, if they come back. So when you say you're looking for where they're rubbing on trees, are you looking at maybe more looking for like mud and hair? I mean, I'm assuming it's probably not like looking for a deer rub where it's, you know, no, stripped well, clean or anything. Yeah, what but. you're going to see is on the side of the oaks, you'll see mud and you'll see hair in there. And the other thing you can see by looking at it, as long as, for whatever reason, the boars like to rub their teeth on the trees. Oh, interesting. So a lot of times you can look at a tree and you'll see the mud with the hair stuck in it. Of course, that's black, grizzly pig hair. But then you're also, you know, up higher. You can judge the size of the pigs, what's in there, by how high the rubs are up and down on the trees. But you also see cut marks in the trees sometimes where those boars are rubbing their teeth. And that just gives you an idea, hey, there's a good-sized boar in here if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I mean, some guys are out looking to get a big trophy boar, and that just gives you an idea that, yeah, there's one here somewhere. That's awesome because I feel like, you know, there's not a lot of, when it comes to pig hunting, like I said before, there, I feel like it's one of those things where you tend to just reach out to private landowners, to ranchers, to farmers, stuff like that, or, or you're going on a guided hunt. You just don't really find a lot of information on for a guy like me that just wants to maybe try and track down some pigs unless i get lucky i wouldn't have even known where to start so i really appreciate you sharing all that and it's great information for someone that you know or even someone like i said that's out deer hunting that notices something there and now understands how to look a little bit deeper may start recognizing a few things on their hunts and can expand their hunting from you know, August and September all through the yeah, rest of the year. Yeah. And or to sure. even just grab a pig tag while you are deer hunting mm-hmm. to keep in your pocket in case you do see something. And also, it's a great... And, sorry, go ahead. It's, it's a great way to learn your deer hunting area as well. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the places of public land that have the deer, they have the pigs too. So you're out there stomping around pig hunting, yet you're scouting for deer. Or you're hunting deer, yet you're scouting for pigs. I mean, it goes kinda, hand in hand goes hand in hand yeah we also have a cool program here in california called the share program that allows it's basically the department of fish and wildlife has linked to private landowners to gain access for the public to hunt it so um i always recommend people looking that program up it's share um share it's like a shared habitat kind of network and um, obviously it's an incentive for landowners to allow public access to their to their properties but there's a lot of good opportunities for pig hunting Mm -hmm. in the share program Um, as well as you know like these different wildlife areas are opening up more and more opportunities and and having draws in place for people to you know put in for them just like you're going to put in for your duck hunt you know it's just this the same type of system that's in place to put in for these special pig hunts that are out there um, on some of our wildlife areas. So like Grizzly Wildlife Area, they just opened one for Joyce Island recently. I mean, so you see more. I think Lake Sonoma does one over on that side. And I mean, there's just more and more opportunities opening up. And our fish and wildlife website, you know, just wildlife.ca.gov is the best way to just, you know, be in touch with some of this stuff that's going on here. So, yeah. So if you had to sum it up and, and you're talking to someone from out of state and they're like, and they just ask you like, all right, what, what is it like hunting in California? How would you how would you sum it up for them? It's a melting pot of all kinds of opportunities is how I would sum it up. I mean, it's we get frustrated with laws and regulations and taxes and all the stuff that we're <laughs> burdened with here. But at the end of the day, when we are, like, looking to move or move our family, I'm like, man, we just have so much here that we would have to give up um, and sacrifice. I mean, we're hunting and fishing year-round and that's that's a blessing so the the state really unfortunately the way it's going it kind of 
deters a lot of people, but it really is. I mean, it's a sportsman's paradise. If you want to hunt big game, you want to fish, you want to hunt waterfowl, everything, we have everything here short of just a couple animals. I mean, and yes, we can't hunt the bobcat and the mountain lion and everything's kind of got its hands tied, but the opportunity's here if you want to put the effort into it, for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to give you guys a chance to talk a little bit about uh, CICC. Uh, just give your little uh, your promo. Tell everyone uh, <laughs> tell everyone about the company. Yeah, so we, we run a guide service um, based out of Calusa, California. We have our hands in a little bit of everything. I mean, we we rent seasonal waterfowl blinds. We do guided waterfowl hunts. We do a lot of turkey hunting, uh, guided pig hunting, fishing on the rivers, salmon, striper, sturgeon. Pretty much we chase whatever legally can be chased <laughs> year-round. I mean, that's that's basically what we do. Um, all in all, I think we have around 15,000 acres tied up in the valley for waterfowl hunting. And, uh, you know, some of that stuff is waterfowl and turkey, stuff like that, too. And then we also have a ranch up in the hills where we own almost 10,000 acres. So we have uh, a lot of ground to run around on. Yeah, and manage. And manage, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I think is a huge component. I mean, obviously, the guide service is where we're putting, you know, fa- faces out there in the field and, and ha- with our clientele. But in our off time, we're doing a lot of habitat work. Um, I think that's what we spend the majority of our time doing is habitat work, whether it's wetland, you know, restoring wetlands or even our foothill, you know, ranches are are, um, involved in like reintroduction of the elk herd and and elk habitat on those properties. So I think that is what our background really is, is land management. But, um, you know, why not? put some people out in the field and and do some hunting and and angling on the rivers when in the spare time and so when there is spare time I guess but um, it's funny I always tell everyone when Casey and I first met he told me he was a fishing guide and I was like a fishing guide I mean who what is that (laughs) and I this and I'm an outdoor you know I grew up around all this stuff and he tells me he's a fishing guide and I'm like I don't understand a fishing guide and so um, he explains, like, I take fishy, people out on the river fishing for money. And I'm like, why would anyone pay you to do that? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of faith she had in me, huh? Yeah. So, anyways, I end up looking it up on the web, on the Fish and Wildlife website. And yeah, he was a licensed guide. I'm like, wow, I never knew people could wow, make a living a thing, doing huh? that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and here I am now, uh, 15 years in the business with him. And, you know, I think... When Casey first told me he was, like, wanting to do this full-time, I thought he was nuts, and we didn't go to college for that, and our degrees are not in that, but I was willing to take the leap with him, and here we are 15 years later still doing it, and, and it's full-time, and both of us are employed doing it, you know, for so it's it's fun. It's it's neat. And now our kids are coming up in the ranks. We have a 15-year-old son and a almost 14 year old daughter so yeah i mean we're um we're busy with them and they love it and it's been fun to show them how and and we're lucky that they want to want Mm -hmm. to do it so um yeah we're busy we're busy with whether it's our clients or on our own spare time hunting and fishing going out of state and doing the same thing so yeah all right so say somebody came up to you maybe somebody that that saw your shirt they asked you what it was you're like wow you know I always thought hunting was interesting, you know, but there's so much to learn. I don't know if I, I don't know if that's something I can do. I, I've always wanted to, but it's kind of intimidating. What, what advice would you give that person? What words of wisdom or encouragement would you give them uh, if they wanted to get into it, but maybe felt a little intimidated by everything? It seems like there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of people that didn't grow up hunting and fishing and it kind of scares them the thought of all of it but i I just say take baby steps you know pick something that's a easy hunt or trip to start with and just kind of ease your way into it but i tell people all the time you know there's a guy came up the the booth here this morning and he says oh i've never really duck hunted i've always hunted doves but i've kind of always wanted to duck hunt i kind of want to try it and i told him i said come out and and try a guided trip, you know, come out and see how we do it. See if you like it before you make the investment to get into it. But I warned him, I said, if you do it and you're there the right day and see what happens, I said, it's a sickness. You know, you're going to become a <laughs> duck hunter. And the same goes with deer hunting, pig hunting. I mean, I, 
I love to hunt everything, and it's just you just got to dive in and pick something and start and just be willing and open to try it all, I guess. Yeah. And I think, too, like we're lucky here in California. I mean, our especially with our guide service, what we offer has always been, I think, in the big picture, a more affordable way to a, approach hunting or fishing. You know, if you do want to try, I think the misconception a lot of times is like a guided hunt is a huge investment. So that's why you have to do it on your own. But for a newcomer, especially, I think if you find the right outfitter and the right guide service to take you, you can learn so much that it saves you so much time in the long run from somebody who, you know, is willing to teach you while you're sitting in the blind and, you know, like, this is what we don't do or this is what you should do. You're learning from an expert. And, you know, like our services are, you know, anywhere from $250 a day, you know, for a half day in the blind in the morning with our guides. And all of the guides that work for us in our company are are specifically, you know, recruited to our business to know that we are there to mm-hmm. help newcomers. If there is a new person or if a guy wants to pay for it and bring his wife just to show her what, you know, it's about, we're, we're so more than willing to teach and share. And there's a lot of outfitters out there who are, who are very similar to our mindset too. So don't be afraid of approaching a guide service um, and booking those those trips because you might even in the end you know hunting is hunting here we're not we're not a fenced hunt outfit or anything so it's you know you're still out there hunting animals i wish it was easier some days um, success (laughs) success wise but you're learning so much that it's it's worth it and and for somebody just starting i think sometimes that's the way to go you know so if folks wanted to find you guys online follow along check out everything where can they check you out uh, you can find us on the web at hunt-fish-game.com is our website. Or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just CICC Outdoor Adventures. And that's another thing I guess I should mention is maybe like a couple, well now, 12 years ago, uh, Casey and I were chugging along doing our own thing, and we had an Indian tribe actually approach us and, and want to partner with us and um, mm-hmm. and buy out kind of our business. And so we work f- in partnership with an Indian tribe here on their on some of their land, and that's where the CICC Outdoor Adventures comes in. So it's Calusa Indian Community is what that is, and um, they're a great they're a great resource. They're a great tribe. We work with them on accommodations. They have a gaming casino here in Northern California. So beautiful resort that you can stay at um, and and come in at the end of your hunt and really relax and have fun and good food and all that kind of stuff. So CICC Outdoor Adventures on Facebook and Instagram and on the web at hunt-fish-game.com. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to sit down. I'm glad that you're long-time listener we were able to hop on. That's so yes, exciting. It's but awesome. I appreciate y'all's time. Thank I you, know. Sam. Thank you. <laughs> All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure you check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Well, that'll do it for this week. I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more.